Good morning, everyone. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have one with you, we have physical copies in the back that we would love for you to use or to keep as needed. Matthew chapter 6, we are in the heart of this series that we're calling Seek First because the whole thrust of Matthew chapter 6 is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and how we pursue that righteousness in a way that is for the eyes of God and for the pleasure of God and not for other people. And we are, as a church, setting our hearts to seek the Lord, setting a trajectory for our whole year together. This is not to be some kind of January flash-in-the-pan resolution, but really having uh, set aside time to consecrate ourselves to seek the Lord in 2023. So uh, if you have your Bible, stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. We're going to be in verses 16 through 18 of Matthew chapter 6. Jesus continues in his sermon saying, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret, will reward you. Let's pray. Father, we praise you as we gather under your word. We are here to humble ourselves before your word, and we ask that your spirit would come, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would convict us and teach us. Lord, we want to be obedient in this. And so would you come and lead and guide us into your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So I purposefully made sure that I was preaching this text because I have been uh, maybe particularly negligent when it comes to fasting. Uh, just as a way of life. And I mean, abstaining from food and drink for some spiritual purpose. I, this has been an area of great weakness in my own walk with God. And I was telling a buddy this week, man, I'm just going to have to open up this sermon to say, I, I have not been obeying this passage. And he said, I don't know, man. He said, when you fast, don't do this or that. And you've been killing that. You've been crushing it because you haven't been doing any of that. So... In one case, I've been obeying Jesus because when I've fasted, I haven't been looking gloomy or been like a hypocrite. I just have not been fasting obediently. So if you're feeling like me, obedient to this because we're at a completely less mature or less faithful place, then I think we need to back up to kind of a different starting point. So last week we saw Jesus' admonition to us was not that we would pray, but that when we pray that we would do it in this way. And really, he's coming at the same thing, applying verse 1 to the 
practice of fasting as a means of righteousness before God, but he is assuming, because he's preaching to a Jewish audience who had regular rhythms of fasting in their lives, that his disciples would be fasting, and so when they fasted, it needed to look a certain way and not be for the pleasure of people, but for the pleasure of God. So we see that his expectation is that we will fast. That's surely what it seems from this passage in Matthew 6. But we need to do so biblically and with understanding. So I want to back up and have a different starting point, And then we'll work our way back to this passage. So really this morning we have kind of a, a topical message on fasting. And the question for us this morning is what is Christian fasting? Because fasting is not uh, unique to Christianity. Almost every religion in the world prizes some kind of self-denial and incorporates fasting into that. And if you were to look up fasting, fa- uh, fasting in a dictionary, which I know are increasingly not that trustworthy, but the definition of fasting is still good. Um, and you would see that it's abstaining from food and sometimes drink for some period of time. And Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who is an actual doctor, not just like an honorary one from a seminary, but actually he, he was a doctor of human bodies. And he added in his sermon on Matthew 6 that fasting should really be considered abstaining from anything that's legitimate for some spiritual purpose, some, some special spiritual pursuit. So I was laughing this week at Levi because he was on the phone with his grandmother and he said, and he, he joked, but the reason why it was a joke is because it's obvious that fasting needs to be self-denial. And he said, Mimi, I think I'm, I'm fasting from math this week. <laughs> and, and he said it tongue in cheek. He's like, you know, he's laughing. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm exercising my no muscle. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say no to math this week. And the reason why it was funny is because fasting is clearly not about it's about self-denial. It's about denying yourself some legitimate thing, not for all you non-coffee drinkers like, oh, the month of January, I'm going to fast from coffee because you already do. That's illegitimate fasting. But in our affluent overindulgence that marks our society, it's really, it, it marks us. This is the life and the place that we grew up. So what we know is being rich and affluent and not needing anything. What we know mostly as a way of life is kind of a a satiated contentment. And so the idea of fasting really sounds strange to us. It sounds foreign to us. Um, It's almost like Jesus is speaking a different language. We understand when he says, well, when you pray, um, but when he says, when you fast, we're like, it's counter-cultural. And so we ask questions like, is it really needed or does it really do anything or why would we fast? And then you add to that that fasting a lot of times is accompanied with bad theology that is kind of like you put in fasting and then God repays you for this token that you put in. So um, it may not sound exactly like this, but the messaging is something like not saying what you want from God in prayer sprinkle a little fasting on it, and he'll give you what you want. And then some also have a hard time with fasting because they think fasting was really pre-Christ, and Christ came and brought 
joy and victory and freedom in the new covenant. And so fasting was really something that marked Israel in the old covenant as they longed for redemption and salvation. But now that we're in Christ and he's on his throne, shouldn't our lives just be marked by joy and feasting rather than fasting? So that's the question for us this morning is what is fasting for? And then is it for us as Christians living in the new covenant? And then how do we fast in a way that honors God? So in thinking about what is fasting or what is it for, we always want to go to God's word for our answers. So I went to the Old Testament leading up to Christ's coming to say, what, why did people fast? What is fasting according to God's word? And I grouped some different examples. And for the sake of time and brevity, I'm only going to give you three kind of large categories for why we see fasting given as an expression of faith in God or, or hope in God in the Old Testament. And uh, just an example or two for each one. So first, you see fasting as an expression of mourning or grief. This is the first instance of fasting you could see in the book of Judges, but prominently you could see this in Nehemiah chapter 1 when he hears about the state of Jerusalem and the walls being broken down and the gates of Jerusalem being destroyed by fire. When he hears of it, it says, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Nehemiah 1, 4. So fasting is an expression of grief and of mourning about the circumstances around you in your life, things not lining up with the will of God in society around you or in your own life, uh, lamenting the circumstances of your life or the sin around you. But it's also an expression of repentance. So this has less to do with mourning the sin around you and more to do with mourning the sin within you. Um, you can see this as Israel gathers before Samuel, who served as a prophet and judge of the people. And he calls them to repent of their idolatry in 1 Samuel chapter 7 and to direct their hearts to seek the Lord. And the people respond with a fast and a confession of their sin. Or uh, more directly, we see this from the mouth of the Lord through the prophet Joel in Joel chapter 2. When God is calling the people to repentance... And God says, yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and with weeping and with mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. And so God was after real repentance and real repentance was marked by a real foregoing of food in an expression of, God, we, we mean this. That, that is one thing that fasting does is, God, I, I mean this with all of my heart. I'm coming to you and I'm repenting over this sin. Not just an outward rending of garments, but an inward rending of the heart. Uh, third and last from these examples in the Old Testament, fasting is an expression of humility in earnest prayer for grace. And I, I phrase these expressions of these things because that is what the Lord is saying. Come to me with your heart. So when fasting is just an 
an object outside of you, some discipline that you, that you employ to get something from God, that is not real biblical fasting. Biblical fasting is an expression of the heart's longing or grief or humility. And here we see an expression of humility in an earnest prayer for God's grace. In Psalm 69 verse 10, the psalmist cries out to God that he has humbled his soul with fasting. It is a way of coming before God and saying, I am a creature completely dependent on you. I need you more than I need food. Uh, My life depends on you more than it depends on what I think sustains me. And so I want to humble myself before you. Um, Over and over again, you see one of these humble pleas is for deliverance or for divine direction. So in Ezra chapter 8, when they're going back to rebuild the temple, Ezra proclaims a fast. He says that we might humble ourselves before God and to seek from him a safe journey for ourselves, our children, and all of our goods. For I was ashamed to ask the king for a band of soldiers and horsemen to protect us against the enemy on our way, since we had told the king the hand of our God is for good on all who seek him, and the power of his wrath is against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and implored our God for this, and he listened to our entreaty. Now some could say, if you really believed that God was going to protect you, then why pray? If you really believe that he was going to protect you, then why pray with fasting? But this was an expression of humility and a longing for God to do what he had promised to do and saying, Lord, we are, we are pleading with you to protect us on the journey. We are depending on you, and we want to express that through fasting. Or Jehoshaphat in that kind of famous prayer, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That prayer came in the context of a nationwide fast. Enemies of Israel were surrounding them. They were afraid. And Jehoshaphat calls the southern kingdom to a nationwide fast. And their whole, with their whole hearts, they were crying out, God, we don't know what to do, but would you protect us? We need divine deliverance. So taken together, all of that, Fasting is a gift from God. This is not, it's not a tool to be wielded against God. It is a gift from God as an expression of mourning, whether over sin or other griefs, of humble faith in God, and of longing for God. It's longing for his will, his presence, his activity in our lives. Uh, Matthew Henry, I love this quote, and I think this is very helpful for understanding our use of fasting, why God gave it to us. Matthew Henry said, fasting serves to put an edge on devout affections. Meaning your longing for God is dull and needs to be sharpened. And fasting serves to sharpen your hunger for God, your affections for God. Um, And in the same vein, I read this week that fasting serves as an intensifier in prayer. And I think that's so helpful, right? You're already praying. You're already repenting. You're already mourning. You're already longing for God. And fasting serves to intensify that prayer and bring your whole person into alignment. To, to say with your whole self, body, soul, and spirit, God, I want to repent over this thing. God, I long for your will to be done in my life and in our church. And we're 
pleading with you. And I just, I want to come to you with my whole self, my whole life. And to add this language of hunger that I know that I'm familiar with to what I'm asking you to do. So said another way, if, it, if, if fasting is like an intensifier to prayer, I would say fasting is for fervency. And so if, if in James, the brother of Jesus writes that it's the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man that accomplishes much, that those prayers have power in their working, if it's fervent prayer that avails, then fasting serves to add fervency to our praying. So I want to come up now to the life and time of Christ as we consider this question. Okay, well, so that's what fasting was for. But now that Jesus has come, should we continue to fast? And fasting was prominent in Jewish life, even at the time of Christ. You can see this um, in a story that Jesus tells about a self-righteous Pharisee. Now, much of the fasting in Israel's day had become form without substance. But as that Pharisee stands on that street corner and he's praying to God, he, you remember he says, God, I thank you so much that I'm not like other people. Uh, maybe, hopefully your prayers don't begin like that, right? And then he gives as an example, after citing all of their sins, of his own righteousness, he says, I fast twice a week and give tithes of all that I get. Now, Jesus doesn't condemn his fasting. He doesn't condemn his tithing. Actually, when, when talking about their tithing, and he says, you tithe of all your spices and all these things, and he says, you ought to have done these things without neglecting the weightier matters of the law. So he says, you should have done both. So he's not, he's not indicting him for his fasting. He's indicting him for his trust and his confidence in his own righteousness, of looking at fasting as a means of securing the favor and blessing of God as if he had some kind of merit before God because of his fasting. His fasting, to quote Paul, had the appearance of promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but in itself it was and is of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And so, what is the role of fasting on this side of the cross? There, I, I said there's this argument that since Jesus overcame at the cross and since his resurrection that there's only joy now and there's no more room for fasting. And it is true that Jesus and his disciples fasted less than all the other religious leaders. This was a conspicuous part about his ministry and their life together. He was criticized by the religious leaders for it. They criticized John the Baptist for his extreme non-eating and non-drinking. And then they criticized Jesus. And it says that they would say, this was a common thing that they would say about him and his disciples. Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Matthew eleven nineteen. And on one occasion recorded in Matthew 9, the writer of the gospel records, the disciples of John came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? Now, if fasting is no longer relevant and no longer appropriate for us on this side of Jesus's ascension to his throne, 
then you would assume Jesus to say something like, well, they used to fast before I came, but now that I'm here, they'll no longer fast. And he begins to say something to that effect. Now listen to this. Here's Jesus' reply to John's disciples. Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. I want to spend the rest of our time looking at these words and Jesus' example and the church's example to look at the why of New Testament fasting, of fasting for us today. So first, Jesus' words that we see in his words that fasting expresses this longing for God as we live in this already and not yet. We've already received this freedom and joy and life in Christ, and we have the down payment of what is to come in him giving us his spirit, but we also have this not yet of living with him, sin-free in his presence with this fullness of joy. And so he said we would fast. This is much like the language of Matthew 6 when he says, when you fast. He says, we will continue to fast after he has gone away. So he's saying, look, while the bridegroom's here, fasting can only go so far, right? They're not, what are they longing for while Jesus is here? But now that he's gone away to prepare a place for us, we long. And so one of the purposes of fasting for us in the Christian life is to express a homesickness for Christ, a homesickness for heaven, that that we long for him in his return. This is what he says. He's, He's coming to those who are eagerly waiting for him. And fasting gives expression to that eagerness. We're, we're not just waiting, we're longing, Lord Jesus. In his book, A Hunger for God, and I, I referenced this in that fasting and prayer guide, John Piper would regularly say that fasting is like the exclamation point at the end of this sentence. And he would say things like, this much, oh God, I want you, exclamation point to say, God, I, I want you, and I, I mean it. I'm bringing my whole body into this to say, I have this longing for you, and I want you more than I want this thing that I'm missing right now. Or it's the exclamation point at the end of the sentence, oh God, we're desperate for you to move. God, do this. So in keeping with that, what Jesus is saying here is, fasting is like the exclamation point at the end of the sentence where the Bible ends, Come, Lord Jesus, as the cry of his church. And we mean it. We mean it. So we see our need for fasting in Jesus' words and how fasting, if you're trying to put definitions of the why on fasting for us, well, it's an expression of our longing for Christ, of us saying we're not content with life as it is without you, and we are pleading with you, come, Lord Jesus, fast. Then we look at Jesus' example, and we see that fasting not only expresses longing, but it tests and it teaches. And I I love, David, I don't know how much you planned the, uh, the reading of the law around this, but it is so fitting to see Israel's cravings in the wilderness of them longing for what would physically satisfy while walking in their unbelief. 
And I want you to think about the reason why we have bread or food to fast from in the first place. Jesus has from all of eternity been the bread of life. And he created bread to showcase something true about himself, a, a deeper reality that we would know the language of hunger and thirst and need and sustenance that all are echoes and shadows pointing us to him, that we would speak that language and know it and feel it by the way that he made us to depend on bread, on food for our need. And so in Matthew chapter 4, you see Jesus' fast for 40 days and 40 nights. And when he is hungry, the enemy comes to tempt him. Now, it says that the Spirit of God led Jesus up into the wilderness to be tempted or tested by the devil. And his 40-day fast, it was in the wilderness, points back to Israel's 40 years of life in the wilderness. And I want you to look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 8 for God's reason of why he brought them into the wilderness and what he was doing. And we see the truer fulfillment of what God was doing in Christ. So in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, he says, The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go into the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Why? That he might humble you testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna that you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus quotes this passage in response to the enemy who tempts him saying, if you're really the son of God, then why don't you turn this bread into stones? I mean, this stone into bread. And Jesus quotes back at him, man does not live by bread alone. He says this, this is not uh, you saying this after missing lunch. This is Jesus saying this after 40 days of having no food and being hungry in the understatement of the Bible. And he says, that's my sustenance is not from bread. Like he tells his disciples, I have food that you don't know about. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And so Jesus goes into the wilderness and God uses this fasting to test what is in his heart. Just like he leads Israel into the wilderness to test to see what is in their heart. And we see this massive contrast we see what's in Israel's heart, the grumbling, the complaining, the wickedness, the cravings, the unbelief. But he brings Jesus into the wilderness so that we could see what is in his heart, which is this perfect righteousness and complete dependence on the Father. Jesus overcomes the devil in that moment, not by some showcase of his own strength, but in humble dependence on his heavenly father as he showed us that God is true sustenance and that truly we don't live by bread alone, 
but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And it is that kind of battle in his obedience in the midst of that that showcased to us his perfect righteousness. That it's, it's him and his righteousness that goes to the cross and takes our place so that all of our fasting is not meritorious. It's not so that we can earn the favor of God or earn the blessing of God. Jesus secured salvation and the blessing of God by his own righteousness. And then he calls us to follow his example so that, like with him and like with Israel, God might test us and teach us. And fasting will test you. I don't know if you've fasted before, but you probably have said to somebody, if you have, I'm just not very good at fasting. (laughs) Other people fast. When I fast, I get really angry or hangry or whatever. But that's because that's what's in there. And fasting will reveal what's in the heart. So God tests them with hunger to see what is in them. We see what is in Jesus when he was hungry. Complete obedience, complete union with the Father, complete dependence, complete satisfaction in Him. But when we fast, it, it draws out these ugly things in us, this sin in us, so that we might choke it out and crucify our sin. He will use fasting to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but you have lived by bread more than you've lived by the will of God, more than you've lived content to have him be your truer sustainer. He will use it to train you to depend on him, but also use it to train you to choose him over yourself. That's why Levi used that language in his joke because that's the language that we use in our house. I'm exercising my no muscle. I'm training right now God is teaching me to deny myself so that when I get to the battle or the trial, I know how to say no to myself and yes to Christ. Uh, My Georgia Bulldogs just won the national championship. I know you don't care. I'm really happy about it. And one of the things that they would say often was that their practices were harder than the games, That, that they had their biggest test of the week in practice as they did drills and they, they tackled and they hit and they were physical and they were aggressive in the training so that when they got to the game, they were hungry for it. They were hungry for the contact. They were hungry to win. And, and they thought, man, I've already experienced harder than this this week, and so I'm ready. So the, the moment of testing does not come when the battle's here, but before. And so God gives us fasting as a gift so that we might see what's in our hearts, that he could reveal our sin to us so that he could teach us and train us to live dependent on him and his word as our truest sustenance. So it's, it's that intensifier to the Lord's prayer to say, Lord, make your name holy here. May your kingdom come. May your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. We want to see your kingdom come to the world around us more than we want food, more than we want fill in the blank. This other thing that I'm giving up for the sake of earnest prayer to God. So we see by Jesus' own words and by his example, fasting as a longing for him, a longing for his return, fasting as 
testing us and teaching us, teaching us to deny ourselves and to depend on God. And then we also see by the early church's example that fasting is this yearning for Christ's glory in the world. And it's probably the most conspicuous instance of fast, fasting outside of Christ in the New Testament comes in Acts chapter 13. So we see Paul and Barnabas about to embark on this missionary journey. And the setting is the church at Antioch, the church that is a model for us. I always pray, God, make us like the church at Antioch. But we want, run the risk of wanting to have the church at Antioch's blessing and success, but not the cost, not the denial of self to see it. So in Acts 13, in verses 2 through 3, it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So it was to them fasting and praying that the word came. And then in the midst of saying, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for this missionary work, then they fasted and prayed again. It was as if to say, God, we, at the outset of this mission, we renounce our own strength. We are dependent on you. We are pleading with you. Bless these men. Bless this mission as we look to you with humility and with earnestness. Paul also said in other writings that he was often in fastings and that he beat his body and made it his slave so that he would not be controlled by anything. That he employed fasting for uh, a yearning, an earnestness for the mission of God in the world and so that he would not be controlled by his flesh. And so Jesus says, when you fast, when. Not, not if you fast, church, not I, I hope that you will, but when you fast, in, in longing for him, in a, in a humble earnestness for his activity, his movement of his spirit in the world, uh, he, he, he calls us to it as an expression of longing in the midst of already having him, is what we've seen. It, it springs from a holy dissatisfaction with the way that things are, as we long for more holiness and his return and more growth and yearning for the lost to respond to the gospel. So, I'm going to go back to this passage, and I just want to close and end with these kind of twin dangers on either side of fasting and then in fasting itself. Uh, if we don't fast, that would be danger number one. And you could be completely out of rhythm of fasting, or maybe you're fasting this month, and it's your first time fasting ever. Um, I, I know firsthand from my own diseased heart how I play games around fasting. Like God will lay fasting on my heart and I'll be like, oh yeah, I need to do that. But I've got a meeting today. And uh, I don't want to tell him, like you said, to do it in secret. And I don't want to have to make it awkward and tell him like, can't, can't meet for lunch or I'm not, I'm not going to eat, but you eat. Um, oh man, I, I wanted to, but I was going to work out this afternoon. I want to do that on an empty stomach. I feel like I, I need strength for that. Um, 
oh, I'm, I'm going to fast in this other kind of way, you know? Like, I just, I don't really, I don't really do well not eating food. And so I'm going to fast from something that's easier. Now, the danger of that is that we have cares in our life that threaten to choke out the word. So the word is sown among the seed and then the thorns come up and the thorns choke out the word. And Jesus says the, the thorns are the cares of this life, this worldly pleasures. And we run a real risk of like those who are described by Paul of being enemies of the cross of Christ, of having our appetites be our God. And all the while deceiving ourselves into thinking that we are worshiping God in a way that honors him. But every time we're faced with actually denying ourselves, we choose not to and choose worship in a way that's easier for us, more that we understand better. But how honored God would be if we chose to fast because he said to, not because we understood it perfectly, not because uh, we understand why or because we're really great at it, but we run the danger of not fasting and having sin going uncrucified and cares continuing to choke out the word and to choke out a, a truer longing in our hearts. Because fasting, it's, it's not only gives expression to God-honoring yearnings, it can jumpstart them. So you can actually have your body lead your spirit into a yearning and a longing for God as you long for coffee or sugar or something that you're foregoing or food and you're longing for it and your prayer is the enemy wants to make you think mainly about how you're grumpy or how you wish that you could have this thing that you're foregoing and God wants you to turn that yearning into longing for him and an opportunity into pursuing acts of righteousness for other people that's what he says in act in Isaiah 58 that the fasting that he chooses is not to dead end in itself in fasting and just you get to the end of the day or to the next day and you're like, man, I really hated that, but I'm glad I got that out of the way. Check, box checked for the month or for your year or whatever it is. That fasting is, to, is, is meant to create this longing in your body that you turn into a prayer, God, I want you more than I want this food right now. God, I want you more than I want to look at social media right now. God, I want you more than I want. Whatever your thing is that you chose to forego for the sake of the worship of God, you're turning that into a prayer. God, uh, we are longing for your return. And I, I feel that right now and I'm praying for it. So that you have this danger of not fasting. And then you have the danger of fasting being an end in itself and just being a, an asceticism that you think is spiritual because it looks spiritual and it feels spiritual and uh, maybe you approach it like it's going to twist God's arm like God's going to repay you for it but fasting is all of grace we are fasting on this side of receiving everything in the Lord Jesus and he gives us even fasting as a gift so that's what Paul says all the time like all of your works including your fasting your praying your giving all of those were birthed in your heart by the grace of God in the first place? How could you use them before God as a performance to merit his favor when he gave them to you as a gift? So 
Those are dangers on either side of fasting. And then the last danger is inside of fasting, which is what Jesus deals with in our passage. It's what he dealt with in prayer. It's what we're going to see him deal with in our giving, that we would not fast to be seen as spiritual by other people, but that we would fast for the eyes of God alone. And get this, he says, when you fast in secret, then your father who sees in secret will reward you. And maybe that's all we need to know this morning is that fasting pleases the Father when it's for some God-honoring reason, when it's for some yearning for some truly spiritual biblical purpose, God sees it and honors it when we do it for Him alone. And I, I got to read a lot of examples that I wish I could bring in of this miraculous working of God in response to prayer throughout church history or just godly men and women who employed fasting because it was more prevalent. They, were, they lived in a more obedient uh, version of the church than we have here in our Western culture. And it was just a regular rhythm of their life. And they saw God move in power or they themselves became more godly or more content even in the midst of their trials and their waiting. And you saw God answer his promise again and again of rewarding them with more of himself as they fasted, as they sought him in secret, and as they pursued his will to be done with the intensifier of fasting. So I just would ask us in closing, I, I've, I've told you, I have not been faithful enough in this. And so I invite you, I, I've I invited my um, son, all of my kids to ask me uh, how different spiritual resolves were going this month. And um, my son Isaac's been really faithful in this and we'll be at the dinner table and he'll be like, so how's this going? I'm like, Phew, man, I'm so glad I told you to ask me. <laughs> and so I would say the same thing here. Let's resolve to be a, a fasting church. Let's not just emphasize the means of grace that God has given us that are more natural to us or that are easier for us. But there, remember, secret doesn't mean that it's like some clandestine operation that if somebody else finds out about it or you can't do it with other people, it means not for the eyes of other people. You're not doing it motivated for their sake but we should fast and pray together. We should call each other to fast and to pray. I want you guys to ask me, have you fasted? We're, we're, we're yearning and we're longing for God to move, but, but how much? Do we really want to see lost people saved and brought into the church? Do, do you really want to see your kids come to know Christ? Do you really want Christ to return? How much? And God is inviting us as a gift to say, Add this to your life to say this much, oh God, I'm praying this thing. Let's pray. Lord, your disciples asked you to teach them to pray. And Lord, we come to you this morning to add to that. God, would you teach us to pray with fasting? We, we do not know how to fast as we ought. Uh, we are so prone to avoid it or to employ it with wrong motives 
or with bad theology and not seeing it as the gift that it is, that you have given it to us for our joy as we express contrition, as we express humility, as we cultivate humility, as we cultivate longing for you, for your activity in our lives, for your miraculous breakthrough. So Father, would you please, by your spirit, help us to be more obedient into this. Lord Jesus, thank you for doing this for us perfectly and for us seeing what was in your heart and that by your perfect righteousness, you have made a way for salvation to all who call on your name. We do pray together that you would come, Lord Jesus. We long for you. We are homesick for you. Please help us to express that through intentional self-denial that honors you. In Jesus' name, amen.